You're listening to Pirate Cat Radio, KPCRLP, 92.9 FM, Los Gatos and beyond. You want to write a novel? I know you do. That's why I'm inviting you to my free novel writing workshop. That's on February 24th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. UK, February 24th. For a free novel writing workshop, go to tonyduchesne.com slash free. That's tonyduchesne.com slash free to register for this free novel writing workshop at February 24th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, Please, when you come, don't have an idea. Don't even just let your brain be empty of all ideas and join me as we all kind of go through the process of pushing the novel into an idea and putting a plan together where you can write your novel this year. And uh, speaking of writing your novel this year, there's a great book by Walter Mosley called This Year You Write Your Novel. It's one of my, I highly recommend that book because that's one of the, that's one of the very true authors, the true stories of how to get a novel done correctly not correctly, just get it done. And that's what we're going to talk about on February 24th. We're not only going to talk about it, I have exercises put together that we're all going to work on and you'll come away with what you're going to do with the exercises that we do. TonyDuchesne.com slash free. That's TonyDuchesne.com slash free. Novel writing workshop, February 24th. Can't wait to see you on with the show. Hi, my name is Kelly McNeil and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Kelly McNeil. She's the author of May Luna. Kelly, how are you? So great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy you're here on the interwebs from Florida. (laughs) Yes, I'm in Florida right now. Not always, but yes, I am here right now, So, which is very nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never been to Florida. I want to visit one day. Are you like, are you upstairs or downstairs? I am all the way south okay. on the coast, right out oh. like 10 minutes from the beach in the south, Um, about 45 minutes north of Miami. Wow. Oh, I think I, I just have a feeling that that's gorgeous. The, now, mm-hmm. the, the only problem is hurricanes, right? It doesn't really bother us. I've been here about 10 years now. And yeah, it's just like, I think it, it, everybody thinks it bothers us a little bit more than it does unless it's catastrophic of course i don't yeah. you know mean to say otherwise but for the most part it's like eh, we'll be okay yeah we've in los angeles right now we're coming out of this huge storm where we've just had like the la oh, river heard about that. overflowed it's like the la river is usually bone dry and it overflows yeah so mm-hmm. mother nature is just going tap 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 hello 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> where else do you where else do you spend your time i spend a good bit of time in london mm-hmm. uh which i love i'm from pittsburgh originally and so i head back there to spend time with family and pittsburgh is very much in the blood of anybody who is raised there so i want to go there will always feel like going home yeah i all okay so i gotta i have a fascination with pittsburgh and i really want to visit one is okay. because uh it's because there's uh lee good good kind lives there the um 
the create he he uh, ran creative nonfiction magazine. I think it was called for years, and I've had okay. him on the show before. And I'm got the guy just blows my mind. He's like 85, okay. and I'm just like I got to just go to Pittsburgh and have lunch with you. Like next time I'm in New York, yeah, flying into Pittsburgh having lunch. But I want to hang in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Just I, I think it has. The reason I'm fascinated with it is because I grew up in a dreary suburb of San Francisco in the 70s and 80s. Mm, And I think that there's going to be some similarities with the vibe. I kind of feel the same with Philadelphia. Now, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, those are two completely different things to you, though, right? Yes, vastly different. No relation. Really? (laughs) No relation whatsoever. It's like we're from two different states. And, And what's the cultural, like, differences of of Philly versus um, Pittsburgh. So I don't want to speak for Philly, even though I have Philly in my, in my book, I have some, uh, some of it is set in Philly, but not deeply set in Philly. It's just um, kind of, uh, you know, on the periphery, but it, it, I, Philly, I think very much associates itself with New York because it's so close to New York. It's maybe an hour and a half train ride. Somebody's going to write into yeah. and say, no, she was wrong. No, I, I've no, actually yeah, looked this up. <laughs> Because I'm I going think it's to about Philly. An hour and a half train ride. Okay. And, and and it's about it's about an hour and five minutes uh, there you go. from station okay. to station. But okay. if you want to get anywhere and actually get to a place, then it's an hour and a half. Sure. So yeah, I think that's part of it. And then um Pittsburgh is definitely it has this blue collar feel to it that comes from the, you know, that, that is decades old. And there's like a, a camaraderie there. It all feels mm. very much like family and the sports teams so much run in the blood of everybody who lives there. Even if you're not a sports fan, you just feel it. And it's just part of it, part of the community. And then whenever I just said this to somebody recently, you kind of feel like you're from a club. So even Uh if you're in London or in Florida or out in LA, wherever you are, as soon as you meet somebody from Pittsburgh, it's like instant family connection. Is it? And that's what makes it cool. Yeah. I mm-hmm. I adore that, and it's because uh, I I live in Los Angeles now, but I'm always a San Franciscan by heart, and okay. al- always you know, and it's always kind of the people who like grew up around the area. It's like we know each mm-hmm. other instantly. All we got to do is say South San Francisco or a certain mm-hmm. suburb of San Francisco, and you're mm-hmm. like, wait, you were there in the '80s? I was in Providence, Rhode Island, on the on the so-called bad part, bad area, and mm-hmm. as as we were driving through it, I'm like. I could live here because this reminds me of growing up it's <laughs> yeah. like just yeah. concrete and sadness. I love this. I could yeah. be here. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we go back a lot and then I've got two daughters and we try to get them back to Pittsburgh as often as possible because they do spend so much time in, in South Florida and then also in London and they were born and raised in upstate New York. So they don't have that sense of roots that you and I are talking about right now. Yeah. Like you're mentioning, you know, it, it, they don't have that because they've just sort of moved around a lot. So we are their roots. And so I've tried to provide Pittsburgh as their, you know, kind of artificial version. And they've really taken to it. They feel very much like, oh, I'm from Pittsburgh, even though they don't really, <laughs> they don't really get what it was like to be raised there. Right. But they at least have that connection, which I think they feel very proud of and, and they kind of love. That's cool. And how does London come into your location story? I started going there years ago and just like as soon as I landed there, just said, this is it. This is where I feel like 
you know, it feels very home, homey to me. It very, it felt instantly familiar in a very strange way. And um, yeah, I just sort of gravitated towards this one area of North London and made it my home base. And every time I would go back, I would go back for longer. And then fortunately, just the nature of the way our family is run, I can spend long periods of time there and work from there. And so, yeah, we kind of consider it a second home. That is awesome. We don't spend as much time as we would like there just because we can't, but you know, in general, yeah, it's nice to have it as a, as a, as a place to go. That's so different in every way from South Florida. I think that's part of its appeal. It's almost the, um, cause I need, I haven't had a vacation outside of Los Angeles in a, quite a while. And I'm like losing my mind. I got to get out of LA for a while <laughs> and I'm going to go, I'm going to go to New York and that, and, and Philly. And that probably won't feel too much like it, but in fall, I'm going to go visit friends in Portugal and then hang out in Paris for a bit. But, um, Fantastic. I, yeah, that's, uh, what mm-hmm. was I going to say? Oh, there's, there's a beauty in, leaving home in order to remember how, uh, how great home is. And when you have like mm. two, two different cities, mm-hmm. like you go to London and be like, Oh my God, this is so great. And then after a while you're like, and that irritates me. And that irritates me. And I can't be yeah. right, but back in Florida. And so is true. that how it works? So true. 100%. I was not, I did not take to Florida as naturally as one might hope when I first moved here and it just did not projectile vomiting and stuff like that. It was something along those lines, quite honestly, Uh, it just was, you know, it, 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 it was not, it did not mesh with my personality as well as one might hope when they make a new home. And then when I started spending time in London, I found this exactly what you just said. It's like, we would go there. And then after a while I would come back to Florida and I, I would, walk out of Miami airport and go, Oh, well, this is actually very nice. And then, you know, and then I started to really appreciate it. And, and now I'm very happy here. I, I yeah, love that. Sometimes, I, yeah. Just like you said, you have to leave sometimes. Yeah. When I, when I fly into San Francisco now, it doesn't feel like home. It's so strange, but everything's mm. so familiar. But when I fly yeah. into LA and all I see is all the traffic and then, and then I'm just like, I'm, it's the only time I'm happy to see the 405 because that's when we're landing. Like immediately, I'm like, oh, the beautiful gridlocked 405. And now, when no home. one has died on this flight, and welcome to LA. Yeah. And you were all you were in the entertainment industry for a while. I was for about a decade. I worked yeah. in the music business and concert promotions specifically. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Where was it? Where was that at? The Northeast. Okay. So yeah, or the East, I guess I would say, because there were a couple different locations where I did it, but it was definitely in that region. So different venues throughout that area, but mostly by the end, it was mostly in Pittsburgh, which has some great venues and um, especially did at the time actually. So yeah, it was a, it was a good, it was a good career for, for certain. And I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it. And, uh, yeah, it, I guess it served two purposes because it gave me my career for 10 years and then also served as a little bit of a inspiration and some fuel for some writing a little later on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, that's the beauty of it. Um, what's what's a particular band or uh, singer that you were going, oh, my God, I, I get to I get to meet and work with this person. How cool is this? My life is amazing. 
Um, yeah. So I would say that used to happen a lot because I have such an appreciation for so many genres of music that no matter who they were, I always got the sense that like I was near something special and something, you know, really great. And like, I have this memory of being, um, backstage at early Coldplay kind of Ooh, thing. And yeah. Like, oh, well, now this is going to be something very special, you know, and they already were at the time, but it was like, you kind of get that, you kind of get that feeling, but then, um, you know, there might be somebody like, um, Dave Matthews band who was mm-hmm. huge at the time. Like those were big giant concerts that ever, I mean, they still are, but at the time that I was doing it, they were big events and they would bring everybody together. And, and whether you were like a fan of the music or not, it didn't matter. You, you would kind of just get this sense of magic from it all and this connectiveness. And I love that feeling. And I, and, you know, from the very first time I was ever at a major concert when I was a kid, I remember feeling that. And I loved that it just brought everybody together in this way that felt almost religious and magical you know it's so cool and i said this is it like i really want to be part of this what was your what was your first concert it was neil diamond oh that's such a good one (laughs) oh my god so so it's so funny i love that you have that reaction because this is there are a few little easter eggs about my own life that I brought to the book. The book is, is you know, it, I don't do that too much, but every once in a while it's fun to drop those in. Oh, you have um, to. That's that's part of yeah. this game. I, it's, yeah, it's, right? and, and yeah, and sometimes I'm like, I hope, I, I know like the, some people will know that they'll be like, oh my God, this, this was, this was a me and Tony thing. And it's just a little note in a book or right? you know, whatever. And it's just, so it's only for me and that person and that's it. Uh-huh. And, but it just happens to be there. Yeah. I do that. Yeah. I do have those. I don't. Yeah. So there are, there will be lines in there that yes, there will be one person out there in the world reading and going, oh, I know this, I know where she got this. And yeah. you know, with a twinkle in their eye, there is actually a lot. I do a lot of that in my writing, but little nods to people. But yeah. um, that in particular, the Neil Diamond thing, it, it I, I have in the book and it says, you know, the question is, what was your first concert? And the main character, Evie, is like, oh, okay, this is either going to go really badly or really well. It depends on the audience here. And one of the members of the band goes, oh, that is fantastic. What a fantastic answer. And there's like cheering. And the other member of the band is going, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So you know so, depends then, on what so, your relationship is with neil diamond <laughs> interesting and the um and and it probably tells a lot about the person so if someone reacts favorable and the other person doesn't if the person who doesn't uh-huh. act favorable can you still be their friend oh uh maybe a little but i will yeah. kind of say maybe we're not going to be quite as connected <laughs> as yeah. we could yeah yeah because you have to recognize greatness i mean let's be honest yeah and you could just say sad for you and i'm really sad for not only you not knowing what's great in life but you not having me in your life there's just there's so (laughs) many things that you're not getting so true (laughs) my kids i my kids are really like i took a lot of interest in music you know from earlier generations and my kids pick up a lot of their music tastes from me and I have not brought them onto the Neil Diamond train yet, but it's just because I'm waiting for the perfect time. Oh, yeah. It's going to have to be perfect for them to get it. 
And so now, it's going to have to be the right era of Neil Diamond. Yes. <laughs> have they listened to the monkeys yet? No. Uh -uh. Okay. So, because no. so, Neil Diamond wrote the first record, right? Most of that first record. So my my exposure to Neil Diamond was through my mom and her big mm -hmm. like she was a big late 70s, early 80s Neil Diamond. So yeah. that's my era, you know, and then he was touring a lot. I want to say in like maybe the late 90s, late 80s, 90s, something uh -huh. like that with all of the big hits from that from the oh. 70s and 80s. So that's my that's my Neil Diamond. And then yeah. other people have theirs. So, yeah. yeah. Great stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I was blown away that whole first Monkees record. Neil Diamond had actually recorded the whole thing. It was ready to be released. I didn't know this. Yeah. And then they're like, hey, we need like an albums. We need an album worth of music for this TV okay. show that these guys are a fake, the fake band. Right. You know, well, right, well, I mean, right. they're, a, they're a fabricated band. They're put together and can play. And they gave Neil Diamond a ton of money to not release it and just gave all those songs to uh, the Monkees. This is a fascinating piece of music trivia that I didn't know. And I'm like yeah. really excited that I, that I know this. And, you know, I used to watch the monkeys at, you know, in syndication. Yeah. Yeah. Me now too. I'm gonna, now I'm going to think about it. This like, <laughs> this may cool. have, it, it, it's, it changed my life when I found out about it. And I, I love seeing your transformation of <laughs> it's, it's, it's just like there, there was a glow coming down. There were, there was a touch. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was a touch from a cloud. All you know, just, oh. right. right. <laughs> and hopefully, all the listeners out there are having their. They're all pulling over and weeping, weeping like mm -hmm. happily. They're just like, I just can't believe I didn't know that. I so, didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, and my and my advice to all listeners is, whenever you start weeping, just pull over. Just pull over. That's what I tell people when they listen to the audiobook of my book too. Like, there's a lot of weeping happening happening out there when it comes to May Luna. And I'm like, you know, once you get about three quarters of the way through, you might just want to pull the car over because you, you know, it, it, there's a come there will come a time when it may not be safe to drive. It's gonna hurt. <laughs> it's gonna hurt. <laughs> that that could have been your tagline, May Luna. This might be. It's gonna hurt. <laughs> that's so true that's not bad not yeah. bad i've gotten some good ones from people yeah that could be one <laughs> sponsored by kleenex <laughs> <laughs> yes i think the latest one was we need a, we need to start a may luna support group I said, oh that would have been a great tagline like what a great <laughs> so, yeah. yeah that should have been on the cover <laughs> that might be something you have to put together yeah <laughs> and i'll be like okay i'm gonna calm everyone down Here's where it really came from my heart. Here's the, it's an emotional expression of this, but it's made through this character. And and it was all about the monkeys. <laughs> big Just Easter egg. For everybody out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. So you're, so you're, I mean, so being around uh, when, when you're doing concert promotion, are you also like around when the, the, especially for like a Dave Matthews concert, when like they're doing um build up for the show and, there, mm -hmm. there's you're you're walking through and kind of seeing the stage being put together and then yes. all of a sudden the band is just like swoop, rushed in it's just like sound check sound check sound check and whisked off to interviews yes. did you go with them to interviews 
I did. That was actually what my job was. So uh -huh. I would be, um, so yeah, I would end up, I would go over there in the afternoon to whatever show was going on. Sometimes it was at the arena. Sometimes it was at the big amphitheaters or at the stadium. Wow. Sometimes they were smaller shows. So I yeah. got to see, I remember seeing John Mayer in like a little club. I think there were maybe 400 people there or something. Yeah. So it depended on, you know, it depended on what venue I was going to be at. Most of the time it was amphitheaters um, and then the arenas, but at any rate, I would go over in the afternoon and start working with their tour managers and coordinating all of the press and, um, you know, getting ready to like, you know, when radio station winners would win a chance to meet the band. I was the one, you know, sort of coordinating all of those efforts and those promotions. And um, so, yeah, and it was funny because you kind of are just, you're right alongside them, but you're not part of them right so right. you do become an observer and a fly on the wall and I would notice you know it was like how extraordinary to be seeing these people in you know behind in the scaffolding right and they're they're getting ready to go out and they're one person and the moment they hit the stage this everybody just roars and and then they're on but behind the scenes they're just very human you know they're just yeah. humans just like you and just like me and and that that was kind of always very fascinating to me. And I do tend to, and I did just sort of tend to be a fly on the wall and, and observing all of that. It was very cool. Because a lot of them are just trying to get through the day. A tour yeah. is grueling. <laughs> it's, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I mean, but if and I were I on, go ahead. I kind of imagined that it would be lonely at times and mm -hmm. isolating to be out on a stage and having 20,000 people absolutely falling at your feet. And then I would imagine the sense of silence that might be so loud whenever you left that experience. And then you had to go to some, you know, sort of blank hotel room, empty, yeah. and there's yeah. nobody there to have a conversation with. And maybe you're having a bad day and you're thinking 20,000 people were just cheering my name and nobody knows who I am. Yeah. And I would feel that and I would, and I would just sort of empathize with that and, wonder what that must be like it's so it's yeah because because they're 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 like day they're like deities that they're it's it is a religious experience but it's a religious mm -hmm. experience for you know i'm sure it's a religious experience for a lot of bands too because they're mm -hmm. going together and it's just like this is the album we worked for two years on we're finally getting to play this live mm -hmm. there's and mm -hmm. and hopefully they're in a place where they can just have gratitude and not be like, and now I need to numb myself with as much cocaine as possible to get through this. Right. Which, right. Um, which makes so much sense that, you know, going from some of these bands going from like zero to 20,000 people. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it looked like you look at the mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain phenomenon. It's just like, sure. If, yeah. You know, if that didn't happen and they kind of had a more gradual push, I mean, there, he was in his 20s. What do you do with kid, that? Yeah, yeah, and what do you do yeah. with that when you're just like, you know, three years ago, you're like just mm -hmm. having trying to have some fun and figure out the world. And then all of a mm -hmm. sudden there's just crushes of people like looking at you for um, being their savior in a way. And it's mm -hmm. just I. I just get, I get bugged when I go to certain events and I get the weird eager eyes of either like another writer or someone in the film industry who I can tell is going, oh, I got to talk to Tony because he can get me somewhere. 
and mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and that, those eager eyes i'm just like i'm like i there's days i won't even go to some stuff because i'm like i can't even look at that because i'm working on my book um and mm-hmm. if i get it if i feel it on that level with just one or two people feeling mm-hmm. it with thousands of people has just got to be a uh, next level that i mean you were right there next to the, these people it's i uh, so. Yeah, I think you I think you're on to something with that the difference between the people who were the slow burn of it where they're, you know, kind of doing the van thing for a long time, they're really hustling and then it and then the tide carries them into bigger waters. But I think it is um and and this is sort of where I focused it on was what happens when these people have when it goes very quickly where they yeah. it's like one minute they're playing in these small venues and then the stars align in a, in a way that suddenly they just take off and, and how un, like that must just be very difficult to calibrate in, in, you know, in your nervous system and how the way you would associate with the world. And I imagine it's much easier. I, I would hope to think it's much easier for a band. So they're all in it together. So even if they don't love each other, they like can really at least have each other going through this, this shared experience. I imagine it would be much more difficult for a solo artist but yeah. you know and i think you're right it's like well no wonder there are so many coping mechanisms and so it's like it must you you must have to calm your nervous system or else just numb it in some way to keep going and um yeah so i yeah, hope that i was able to kind of go through all of those different scenarios and give people a sense of what that might be like even if i hadn't gone through it personally myself obviously yeah but you were there like yeah you you soaked up enough around it mm-hmm. yeah i had soaked up enough around it yes and seen enough things and and it's funny because i i tend to be um pretty observant and one of those people that can be in the shadows a little bit and I, if I think I saw a lot more than what people realized I saw, you know, I may have coworkers who are like, really? I didn't, you know, I, we were both standing at the same, at the same time. And we would both, but we, you know, one would see a whole, something happen. And I, and then another would see something else happen. And we would come together at the end of the night with all of these stories. And it's like, wait a minute, there's so much going on here, you know, but if you're just observant and you're kind of taking it all in. Yeah. What, um, was, was there, um, well, you don't have to, uh, mention it. Like, well, uh, the, I guess my question is regarding, um, people who are interviewing these big time, uh, bands, um, are there are some that probably deal better with press than others? I'm sure. Yes. So that was what was what I wanted to touch on because you, you know, in, in this story, I have this person who's interviewing, whose job is to interview this band that under no circumstances will give interviews. So mm-hmm. then what? Right. And it it's like, I think that they start to worry that they're going to be, you're going to go through this promotional machine and they're going to be asked the same mundane, unoriginal questions in every city. And, and they eventually are. <laughs> they're going to lose their identity and they're going to lose um, a little bit of what makes them special. And so 
some bands are going to go through and really embrace that. And they just like soak up that attention and, and, and they're, they're great with it, but others might be a little bit more protective of whatever magic it is they feel is happening. That's giving them this opportunity. Yeah. And that, and, you know, I think, you know, you might relate to this as I do as a writer, it can be a very, you have to be careful about talking about your work because you don't, it is a, it is a very sort of magical thing at some, you know, at some points it can feel that way. And, and you can get a little bit protective of it and you don't want to overshare, right. The, mm-hmm. what, every, everything, every little detail of what your process is. So I can understand how musicians would certainly go through the same thing. Yeah. And it's in like, I mean, I loved it. Well, I, I also teach writing too. So I'm always discussing process. And so that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Cause that's like, I'm trying to get all the students to realize it's just like, Hey, you're all going to have your own voice. And at the same time, mm-hmm. you're going to have your own process and it's going to be unique to you. And guess what? Every mm-hmm. book or every film is going to be different mm-hmm. beyond mm-hmm. that. So it's, it, there's mm-hmm. all I'm like uh, these people who rely on structure books. I'm like, okay, you've learned enough, throw those away because your right. process is how it works. And the, you know, mm-hmm. re- reference them or whatever. I got a whole library of sure. But at the same time, I know how I do it. And I and I tell people and then I'm just like, and this is very wrong and the long way to do it. But it's just my how I became, how I developed my relationship with mm-hmm. getting words from this cabeza onto the paper, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that people tend to think they know, you know, they spend so much time intimately involved with music or with a celebrity. Maybe it's their favorite actor. It could be their favorite writer. I don't know. But they right. start to feel like they know that person and they and they really don't, you, right. you know. Um, and that would be very strange. And I described this scenario where um, the lead singer is saying something along the lines of, you know, everybody thinks they know me. And it starts to get to a point where you're you're having a conversation with somebody and you think you're having a connection and then you see this like veil come over them or this I, where you suddenly stop being the person they imagined you always would be. And there's an inevitable disappointment there, which can be crushing to the person on the receiving yeah, end. Yeah. And I have heard um, other, I've heard celebrities describe it that way. And uh-huh. I, and so they end up just sort of, creating an unintentional enclave where they don't end up really getting the opportunity to leave once they're in it. It's like this golden cage. Yeah. So, the golden handcuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like my rent control apartment. And I just sit here and I'm, well, I'm, I, I, I just made a, I made a good decision 10 years ago yeah. and now I stay here because the rents yeah. are all double and triple <laughs> and it's just like, darn it. And I don't want to pay quadruple just to get a little more. So let's not do that. <laughs> yeah it's um getting it's it's i'm not to uh because i was an extra i've done an extra work a lot in los angeles up sure, until okay. about five years ago um yeah, cool. which is which is a kick and i and the last book i wrote that i'm trying to you know find a home for now is loosely based on that but and a lot of it is from my direct experiences just the loosely based part but you just okay. reminded me of one night i was like sitting there and it was on a set of um forget what the show was called but Cameron Crowe was the creator of the show and it was a it was a night shoot and I was tired and it was over by the airport and mm-hmm. like the other extras were all it was the last 
episode of the series. So all the other extras were just like sitting there. They knew each other. They were all getting stoned. They were all over there mm-hmm. as we were waiting. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there, uh, you know, on my own. Some other weirdo was trying to talk to me. And I'm just like trying not to talk to him because there's always weirdo extras on set. And it's just like, oh, don't leave me alone. I'm just trying to read a book. Mm-hmm. But like three hours later, they finally place me. And they're like, okay, you're going to do this. You know, they tell you where to walk, where you're going to cross the camera. You're going to go here and blah, blah, blah. Great. That's fine. Whatever. And I'm just like sitting there and this guy goes, how you doing? I'm like, I am so tired. And he goes, yeah, me too. And I look up and I'm like, hi, Luke Wilson. <laughs> it's just, it was, yes. Yeah. I was just like, sitting there going, whoa, wait yes. a second. And I just said, and it's just like, oh, me and him had a moment. And what was funny about uh-huh. it was the way I crossed. I was between a wall and the cam- and the camera mm-hmm. and he stood mm-hmm. right next to me and there was mm-hmm. an argument. So he was screaming at the woman every single take. And mm-hmm. I, and I couldn't look him in the eyes. I didn't want to look either of them in the eyes. And like, it was literally like this close and I'm just, mm-hmm. and I'm like, why did you guys make me walk this direction and get stuck right next to him? Yeah. <laughs> like having this play play out right in front of me. And then every yeah. single time, Cameron Crowe came in to try to do an adjustment. It really pissed Luke Wilson off. And then like, and then we got back to our places and I'm like, look at him going like, so we're going to say hi again. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, of course, get out of his head, dude. He's working. He's working. Stay down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's so, so you can relate to what I'm saying then, because it's that it's, it's, it's existing in that world, but not being necessarily a part of it and, and just observing. And it's that same feeling. And, yeah, you're reminding me very much of what it was like to go through the catering line. So you could be at the catering line, just sort of like scooping out your broccoli. And, you know, you don't know who's going to be standing next to, you You know, could be like one of the beach boys, you know, or it could be, which is, you know. Wait, like, what What are some good ones? Like, let's na- let's name some true. names. Who was behind you in the broccoli? The, well, actually, the beach boys is a true story. But that was so there there were like, you know, where I was there's a moment for where for about three or four minutes while you're waiting for things, you are just humans in the same room and you're just having a conversation. You're like, okay this is an exceptionally talented human being and I am just me. And yet we're having this shared moment and and it's kind of cool, you know, I mean, and then I did so many shows back then. It was it was a lot in a very compact period of time. It was a decade, but it was like just so many but. Yeah, I remember um, something along the lines with Adam Levine happening backstage where it was like uh, just sort of where you're just standing there and then you look over and that's the person who's standing next to you and you're like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, good, how are you? You know, yeah. weather's kind of, you know, weather's not so great tonight. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, where you just sort of talk, you, you know, or you make a joke together or... Um, I remember John Bon Jovi laughing at something I was wearing one night because <laughs> I was there. It was a night I was normally dressed very casually, but for whatever reason that night I had to wear a suit jacket. And I don't remember why I was doing that, but I'm just sort of standing there and I'm, I must have had a look on my face and I'm wearing this suit. And he's looking at me and he's like, what are you wearing? And wh- are, why are you taking this so so seriously and I just started laughing and yeah. you know and he's laughing with and it so th- there were these little micro moments and they but they added up over time and in, in such a way that I was able to sort of create an amalgamation of characters 
Yeah. And that's, and that's when, that's the beauty of creating the universe because you're not only, Mm -hmm. you're not only bringing us into the characters and uh, showing us the character arc, you're bringing us Mm -hmm. into a world that people don't have access to. Like most people don't have access to what you had. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an, it's an unusual world and it's fun to have a glimpse of it. That's for sure. And, and, you know, I don't remember, there were some experiences where, you know, there may be something like not great happening going on that you just kind of turn a blind eye to. But for the most part, people were like just decent people trying to live their lives. Yeah, the, uh, I think Which doesn't that... sound very sexy. It doesn't. And there were those like kind of sexy moments with it that you want, the, the, the meaty ones. But for the most part, it was just people doing their job like you're doing right now, like I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And that's, it's so um, intriguing how, um, you know, they could be so like demonized or whatever in the public eye. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just like, they're, um, I forgot what I was good. Yeah. They're just, they're just, they're just doing what they do and what they do is normal to them. It's just, that's kind mm-hmm. of their baseline of the day. It's just like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm on tour. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I grew up, I grew up with a very strict father and a, and a, strict religion when i was a kid so i was loving all these bands and my dad would just poo-poo them as it's mm. like no they're all yeah. satan worshipers they yeah. you know they're all sex <laughs> drugs and rock and roll and right. then and then when i started to get around some of these people it's just like no mm-hmm. they're married with kids and this is their gig yeah they're on the phone yeah. with their wives at night because they miss them to yeah. death and they hope they can make mm-hmm. that one leg that's like yeah the real thing is they're just working but they get to work at what mm-hmm. they love and i think in general, there's a lot of hostility placed on people who do get to do what they love. And they mm-hmm. and if they do blow up, you know, that people will say things like, oh, they sold out, like even if it's not satanic panic in a religious thing, but they mm-hmm. they throw labels on them where it's just like these people are just they they got they're it's a grind. It's a grind if there's twenty thousand people, it's a grind if there's two hundred. There the grind yeah. is the same, the catering's different. Yeah, that's so funny. It's so true. And the tour bus is probably better or the plane or whatever they get to graduate to. Mm -hmm. You know, there are all those little amenities, that's for sure. But for the most part, they're, you know, they're going, they're going to work. I used to, it's funny you say that I used to love whenever I would see people who brought their families on on the road and they would have their kids and, you know, just kind of, there are those kids who grow up backstage just running around they don't know any different you know and they're yeah. just sitting on the side and they're like eh, you know my dad's super uncool <laughs> right you know, isn't it like... crazy i, I remember <laughs> yeah, watching you... what's that go ahead. go ahead no i just i remember watching um what, what was it when uh ozzy and his family the osbournes the osbournes when they had the reality show and when they, the kids just were just like oh dad's so dumb and it's just like your dad is Aussie or I think he would be on like Howard Stern instead when they had yeah. the E thing and, and he then he would be like what do you think of your dad and they're just like he's like the oh the nerd <laughs> the guy that's cramping my style when he drops me off at right. school and I'm just like going your dad's Iron Man <laughs> it's uh right yeah yes so funny did you ever have uh, music um, aspirations when you were growing up? I always loved music. It was a huge, huge thing for me. I played music. I loved music. I listened to it. It was, I was one of those kids who used music to sort of 
escape or cope or whatever, you know, whatever you need to do with it. And it becomes a friend. And I was very, very much like that. And, you know, I was like an only child, working parents, latchkey kid kind of situation where I was either, you know, playing music or, you know, like sometimes writing my own music or writing words. It was very much like that for me. And and so I think that those two things, music and in writing always went very closely together from the beginning. And it's still the way that we were talking about process earlier. That's still mm-hmm. my process. Um, how, but yeah, how... I didn't like necessarily, I mean, there was probably a period of time where I was, you know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a rock star. I'm sure I had those moments, but it was more about, being like I genuinely just wanted to be immersed in the world of it and be part of the the production like I wanted to be backstage and part of the thing that was helping make it all happen yeah smelling the fear of (laughs) war essentially I just loved it feeling that energy and like oh I you know I still that's the one thing it's funny people ask me do you miss it and I don't really um, because it's been a number of years at this point, but like mm-hmm. one thing I I do miss that feeling of the energy building before a show and when the, you know, the whole, like the stadium is empty or the arena is empty and you know that people are going to start filing in and that yeah. excitement, there's just like, it, it's really a, a really fantastic feeling. So I kind of miss that sometimes. Yeah. And just being around soundcheck. It's just, uh, yeah, right. I loved watching soundcheck. Yeah. All right, let's yeah. do a couple songs. And you're like, that's for me because I'm the only person standing here. Oh, 100%. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to go talk to them after. Exactly. Get some broccoli. <laughs> it's all about the broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, um, so your first just so your first concert was Neil Diamond. What was one? What was one of your favorite concerts when you were young that you're just like, where was it at Neil Diamond where you're like, I need to be a part of this? Or was there another concert where you just had an epiphany and were like, I need to be in this? Neil Diamond, I genuinely, that was the moment. I was very young. I was maybe, I, I don't remember, 10. And I and I was sit, I was seated in a place where, you know, like the side stage where I there weren't great seats. So I could see half of like half of the show and the other half was looking behind. And so that was definitely the moment where I go, well, I didn't even know that was a job. This is so cool. But then, um, yeah, my, but like, just like you're asking about concerts that made an impression on me. I mean, I have to say, if we're going back to being very young, like the first Lollapalooza, I mean, what was that all about? Oh, that was just yeah. amazing. You know, yeah. and I'm thinking this whole day just like kind of a mess sometimes. And it was like, what is even happening? You know, and you're just, you're tired and you're hot. And there's like, sometimes there's not enough food and it's, a, there's it's muddy and it's like, whatever. But the music is so good. It's yeah. just so good. And you can feel it and everybody's, it, it, it's like, I loved that. And I, you know, those are the days whenever amphitheaters were starting to be built everywhere. And like, now oh. it's a thing, but there was a time that people yeah. don't realize that that was not always the way we saw concerts we saw no. the venues and stadiums or like scaffolding shows on some parking lot somewhere yeah <laughs> you know i remember seeing like stone temple pilots on some like wooden platform or something at some point in time in my life you know yeah and no, i was it's we because yeah. our lollapalooza in the bay area 
um, was at Shoreline Amphitheater, which is one of the crappiest venues on earth. I despise okay. it to no end. Do you know it? Okay. <laughs> no, no, but oh. I've heard of it. So I know what you're but, talking about. But for the first Lollapalooza, I had yeah. like 10th row seats. So I was right there. Oh, <clears> I was you. the guy. Okay. I was the guy. Those were the mm -hmm. days where you slept overnight at Tower Records. And <laughs> and so you had you, you had your like yes. uh, you had your little bottle of tequila in your sleeping bag. 100 percent. Yeah. That's how you got good seats. So that's yeah. I, I, I miss those days because you had not only did you have to put in the work. That was like uh -huh. almost as fun as the concert because you're there with the other people who are just as dumb as you sleeping at 3 a.m. Yes. at 4 a.m. And the and yes. we're going to see each other again at the show because our, our seats are going to be close. And it's and there's a it's almost like, oh, we went through that thing. Yeah, we went through mm -hmm. that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I did that thing, too. Sleeping overnight with your friends great? to get great seats. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I but for me, Luna, we gave out um, concert tickets like from 1998 Ticketmaster concert tickets to the May Luna show as part of our promotional items, like a bookmark. Yeah, and they're actual like terrible tickets from wow. 1998. And the people who respond to them, there are people on like TikTok and Instagram or whatever opening this up and going, "Oh my gosh, I forgot how this felt in my hand." Yeah, you know this is so cool. It has a very distinct feel to it that we just don't get to experience so much of anymore. But it took well, people back. Yeah, and it's so sad. People like I, I hate going to the movie theater when they're just like, "Oh yeah, the, uh, we have your you know yeah. thing here. Do you have your phone with you so you can show the person?" I go, "No, yeah. I need a paper ticket, even if yeah. I have it on me, because I want the ticket just in case it's a beautiful mm -hmm. night, and then I have that ticket mm -hmm. to put in my scrapbook to put in mm -hmm. my hope chest." You know, you can still get those for concerts. That's the funny thing. People don't realize it. You can request. There's a little like checkbox on Ticketmaster. Yes. You can check it and say, please send me real tickets. And they will. Which I is did. Yeah, I did that cool. for Nick Cave his last time. Uh, no, the, when the, the time nice. before when him and okay. Warren Ellis were doing their show. I've seen him in like between 30 and 40 yeah. times. So it's a little bit of an obsession. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah but I, my first like time I saw him was in the 90s. I mean, at 1990. And then he would just play okay. two nights every time they came through, and I was at both nights. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I would, and then I got married, and I would, and my ex-wife would be like, "Oh my god, yeah, 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 make sure you get tickets for me." And then she would like cancel the last minute all, all the time, and I'd go alone. And it was then I should have known <laughs> the marriage was over. You don't I was miss, say, you don't okay. miss let Nick Cave. Let it out, Tony. It's yeah. okay. I'm here for you. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like who who has great seats mm -hmm. to Nick Cave? Who's got front row? And Mrs. Nick Cave, my ex-wife, and that's why she's an ex. I don't, I don't blame you. Yeah, <laughs> I wish that's. I really wish that's what broke us up. I wish I could just put my foot down and I was just like, you know yeah. what? She didn't go to Nick Cave with me. We split everything in half, and I got the hell out of there. Yeah, <laughs> I might make that the new story. I think you should. Do you know, like they talk about how when you have trauma in your life and you kind of like mm -hmm. the story is retold again and again. And so it kind of shifts or, our mem you know, our memories are faulty. So it's we the memory changes. Um, memory. Yes. Memory is so unreliable. And yeah. it is a movie that we replay, except that the movie changes every single time. Yeah. You know, and it's just like you can't trust it at all. My first right. book was about that. My first book was entirely about that very thing about how 
really? you can't really trust memories because they're a little, you know, you just don't know what they are and you don't know how much of it you're, you know, you're often, it, when there's, when there are like blanks in it, when things start to fall out, then you'll color in the lines with yes. new, like new colors. And it, so it changes every time you remember it. And, you know, we're always filling in the blanks with new ideas and we think it's reliable, but it's not. Yeah. It. <laughs> now I got to read your first book too. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um how was how was it how was your release um Jennifer Gold did I do it? No, no, no. I don't think I've had her on the show. I just saw Advanced Praise. I think did I have her on the show? Mm -hmm. No, I think I had a different. I may have had her before. Um but what was um <laughs> sorry, just lost track there and I have your press sheet <laughs> right here. <laughs> um <laughs> uh what was the release party like? Where where did you release? So we released here in um, actually just over the weekend in Miami, yeah. which was nice. Yeah, yeah. I thought about go. I would. I kind of would have liked to be in London for it because the the band is British, and yeah. the band comes comes alive in um, Camden in in London. So I kind of would have liked that. But yeah, I was here with my family, very quiet. And um, I tend this was a this was a very emotional book release for me. So this was one where I wanted to be little introspective like that sort of stereotypical writer you know yeah. sitting there with a bottle of whiskey and the dark no I'm just kidding I really wasn't that <laughs> it, it wasn't I wasn't that dark about it but I did want to yeah it was a little bit of a quiet it was quiet for me it was not it, now I will say that it got very loud in terms of reception over the few days before May Luna came out it just sort of like caught wildfire um in a way that I was not expecting. Um, and that was very exciting. So it was like, I, I, there were mornings where I woke up and there were just like my, there would just be all of these messages coming in from all over the place that, you know, the early readers were getting a hold of it and, and it was catching on very quickly. So I, there was a moment where I just sort of like quieted it down a little and just said, yeah. okay, this is super cool. I'm just so glad that I'm glad to be here. This, this, um, story has been formulating for years now. So this was not, and this was a bigger moment for me than just like writing a book and then hoping you can find a home for it and get it out there. It was, it was, a, this was a many year process on this one. So it felt very good. And that, and that's why it was emotional. It was just, it was, it, were you yeah. thinking back on the journey and just going, Oh wait, was mm -hmm. there, was there almost a, was there almost, mm -hmm. was the emotion almost include like a loss that the journey's over and it's a product out there or. Did... I, I wrote this book whenever I wrote, I, I, I wrote the first draft of this book like 10 years ago. It was the first book I ever wrote. I, you know, it was, you know, I had the idea. I was listening to a song in the car is a five minute song by the end of the five minutes the entire story had downloaded and what was I the song ran home i won't say everybody's oh. been asking me i know i know it's the, it's the everybody loves to ask because where's your whiskey I, I, go get your whiskey i know i know oh, yeah okay. um i because people want to know but the thing is may luna has such a it it, it it has people are connecting to it in a very personal way and so yeah. i want everybody to have their own version yeah. of a song and you know, like music is so subjective and so personal and that's very much the theme of it here. So once you say what that song is, then it, it kind of skews the, the way the story 
may come across to somebody if they don't like that artist or they don't like that music. Yeah. To, you oh, know, yeah, maybe, yeah. They, maybe to them, their May Luna song is in a completely different genre that, you know, I don't listen to. So yeah. I decided early on, I wasn't going to say. But, Bunny Prince Billy. Um, I, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, let, let's just have, we need a, mo- we need a moment of silence that you just brought that up because <laughs> let's just say that is some good stuff right there. I yeah. have not thought of, <laughs> I, was I thought I, I thought is, I guessed I thought I guessed the artist of the song the way you you did it <laughs> no but you know what's so funny is I was listening to a lot of I, I was listening to a lot of that like around that same time very different genre than the rock and roll that I'm talking about clearly yeah. you know it's like yeah that's definitely the dark room introspective kind of thing you're talking but yeah it's so funny I hadn't thought of that um Anyway, I, yeah, I, I came home that day. I started writing. It was a really like exciting. I had always known I was going to write and was just waiting for the opportunity in life to have that bandwidth and space to be able to write, sit down and write a novel. So I, I did that. Everything was going great. I got my agent, like all of it was just moving along. And then there was this quiet that descended about me, Luna. And it was like, which was not a great time. So then I started writing my other book. Um, and just sort of put Melona and the story of Carter and Evie on the shelf. And um, yeah, so when it came time, to, after my first book came out, I just could not stop thinking about the story of this band. It was a you know really unusual story. There wasn't anything out there quite like it, even though it's being compared to other things. That's natural because it's a story about a band. It's so, so we're hard get because even... Yeah, even the even Daisy the sell it. six had just come out. It, you know, it was like oh, yeah, you're yeah. going to have those those comparisons, which is fine because it's you know for musical any anybody who's a music lover is going to make those comparisons, but they are very different stories. And I was like, it won't let go. So I said, I'm going to rewrite this in a way that I think is going to tell the story in a deeper way, and just so to answer that was a very long winded way of answering your question about why it was emotional to release it. But it's because, you know, when I first started writing this, my kids were, I was writing it in the middle of the night with two baby girls at home. And now they're, you know, much older. And it was like a lot of life has happened then. And the story deepened because I did have more life experience. And I was able to bring more of it to the table. And, you know, you just change as a person in in a decade. So that's part of why it was particularly emotional, I think. And, and that silence that you felt was probably devastating at the time, but it maybe it needed to be silent because you needed to come back to the book as a, in, with a different perspective and an older person. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100%. That book was not meant to come out when it, when I first intended it to, it needed to breathe. It needed to marinate. It needed to, um, I think there was a better story of the better way of telling it. And my, abilities needed to catch up with what I wanted to say and what I wanted to accomplish. And I think that's a very hard lesson to learn as an artist of any kind. You may have a vision for something. You have a vision for how you want something to look in the end or how you want to make somebody feel when they are reading or watching or whatever it is you're creating as an artist. But if you don't yet have the mastery of skills to be able to bring it to the table the way you want you have to have patience and that is an excruciating lesson to learn and and one that i when i have mentored other writers have you know that's what i've said to them partly to console them when things don't move as quickly 
is they hope, but to say, have faith because the reason this is taking so long is because it's giving you the opportunity to say, how can I make what I'm doing better? And then you're going to look back and say, well, wow, I like this is the way it needed to be. And it, it, everything, I mean, this is very much about the book has a very mystical quality to it. There's a lot of mystical themes that run through it, but one of them is everything is very connected. There are no coincidences. There's a lot of synchronicity happening and you need to trust the process and that it's all connecting in the way exactly as it should. And that's how I felt about the release of this book. That's fantastic. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I loved it. I loved this conversation. This is fun. You're listening to Pirate Cat Radio, KPCRLP, 92.9 FM, Los Gatos and beyond. Looking 